0: Well, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I hope that You're glad to be here because we're glad that you are here, and uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, we want to know you and uh, hope that you can stay after our service and get to uh, meet a few different people during our coffee time. Uh, Another way that you can uh, make yourself uh, known to us is by texting the word welcome to that number that's on the screen. Uh, Just enables us to know that you were there and uh, to connect with you uh, during the week. And uh, just as we uh, begin this morning, just a few announcements, I just want to uh, uh, invite everybody to our uh, Sunday evening food and fellowship uh, right after our evening service. Uh, we don't have our particular praise service uh, this particular month, but tonight we still have our our food and fellowship, and hope that you can bring uh, the uh, items that are are mentioned in the bulletin there. And uh, particularly if you're a visitor, that's a great way uh, to get to know a few more people just sitting around the table for a meal after church tonight. Uh, evening service is 5 p.m. Uh, we also have. Uh, Uh, Right after the evening service, our high school youth group, and then coming up on Friday is a combined uh, uh, middle and high school uh, game night, and so hope that uh, everybody can plan for that this coming Friday at 6 p.m. Thursday night, there's our prayer meeting, uh, meeting in our conference room, uh, or also if you would still like to be a part of it, but you can't get here at 6.30, you can also join by Zoom, Uh, as far as I know, is that right, Kirk? Okay, it's in the bulletin, just making sure. Um, And then uh, this coming week, uh, Pastor Jeff will be on vacation uh, from Wednesday to the following Wednesday. So if you need anything, uh, please contact myself or Pastor Dan or one of your shepherding elders, uh, and they can help uh, while Pastor Jeff um, is out of town. And then I'll just also wanted to highlight uh, the mini books uh, that we have. So right behind this wall, uh, right across from the uh, mailboxes, Uh, are a number of uh, books that are relevant to so many different practical topics of the Christian life. If you've not uh, looked at those, uh, we have quite a few of them and would love for you to just take them for free and uh, uh, utilize them, maybe share them with a friend who is going through a particular issue that that might be helpful to. So uh, anyway, thank you for that. And let's uh, take this moment now and prepare our hearts. So when is a time in your life that you received the generous mercy of God? Maybe it was in a traffic situation and you were saved from a very uh, uh, dangerous circumstance. Maybe it was the fact that God gave you some extra patience uh, with your own children. Uh, Perhaps it was just the thoughtful care of a friend. Well, our gracious God demonstrates uh, his incredible mercy in countless ways Uh, to our hearts, but he also demonstrates it in all of creation. We hear from Psalm 28, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard my voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. And so let us sing, creation sings the Father's song as we stand together. Thank you. gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come with thankful hearts that you have gathered us into your house, uh, that we can come and praise and rejoice and sing to creation's King, the one who rules over all things uh, and demonstrates uh, not only your power, uh, but also your incredible mercy to sinners like us. And we ask that as your spirit does your work uh, this morning in each one of our hearts, That you would draw us closer to yourself, Lord, that as your word goes forth in song and in prayer and in reading and in preaching, uh, Lord, that you would uh, warm our hearts and uh, uh, melt uh, the hardness uh, that is so natural to us and encourage uh, the hearts that are downtrodden and that you are the one that can lift up our eyes to heaven and to know that the ruler of the universe cares for us, even as we can call you our heavenly father. We ask that you would enable our hearts to praise and to rejoice in you. And as if only we had a thousand tongues to sing your praises, we would rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. as we think about it, the Lord has indeed made our tongues for the very purpose of giving God praise, not just now, not just for an hour on Sunday, but for all eternity. And as we recognize that our tongues, as James reminds us, are used for unfortunately sometimes praising God and then cursing our brother. And uh, so the Lord would have us turn our tongues to uh, focus upon how we can honor his name, and how honoring his name is also honoring his image that others have. And so uh, reading from the uh, third commandment of uh, Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 7, uh, after the reading of this passage, we will then recite together, uh, we, last week was the uh, duties required in the third commandment, and today are the uh, sins that are forbidden. So here now the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let us answer this question. What are the sins forbidden in the third commandment? The sins forbidden in the third commandment are the not using of God's name as is required, and the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, profane, superstitious, or wicked mentioning or otherwise using his titles, attributes, ordinances, or works by blasphemy, perjury, all sinful cursings, oaths, vows, and lots, violating of our oaths and vows. And so you recognize that the honor of God's name spreads throughout every activity that we can do. I mean, there's so many different things as we unpack uh, the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are just a summary of all that God requires of us in living a life uh, that is honoring to him. And so in whatever ways your conscience was pricked by his word and by his spirit, let us go to him and confess our sins in silent prayer. Father, we come to you and acknowledge that our our tongues are so easily led astray, and yet we know from your word that it is only out of the heart that the mouth speaks, and so forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have used our mouths in a way that would dishonor you, perhaps even taking your name in vain that you would help us as we think about the use of our words and the power that comes with them to both create as well as to destroy. That you would help us to recognize that what we say about other people behind their backs can tear down their image, tear down their reputation, in the eyes of others, and that we are accountable for every word and thought and action. Or that you would help us to love one another in the way that we want to be loved, and to speak to one another humbly about the things that concern us, not to everybody else. Or that you would help us as we come, praising you, that it would not just be lip service, that it would not just be going through the motions, but that we would think about the holy God, the awe that we should have of your greatness and of your majesty. And that as we speak and as we praise, that we are doing it to the one who is most worthy, the only one who is worthy of the praise of our tongues. And we ask that your spirit would guide us in a way that is mindful of that same holiness as we leave here, as we go throughout our week, as we think about those that we interact with, that we would be those that represent you well and that your spirit would accomplish the demonstration of your character through us that others would know Christ And we pray it in his holy name. Amen. The Lord has given to us the assurance of his pardon uh, from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our sins iniquities. We have great reason to give thanks to our glorious God for his mercy as we stand to sing to the ancient of days.
1: Let us join in the prayer of thanksgiving. O our God, we bow before you in this morning hour, confessing that you are the Ancient of Days. You are the glorious God, the God who has created all things, the God who none stands before you, none is above you. You are Father, you are Son, you are Holy Spirit. You are far beyond our comprehension. Our finite grasp and yet lord we are so thankful that we can gather in your presence on this day on this day that you have made and that we can confess that not only are you this majestic and glorious god but that you are our father in jesus christ and so lord we are thankful that we can join our hearts together worshiping you standing before you, kneeling before you, confessing your name, confessing that you are a God who loves your people, that you are a God who desires to commune with your people, to covenant with your people. And so, Lord, we thank you above all for our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this second and final Adam that we have sung about, this uh, final Adam, who is able to take the foulest sinner, the most impure sinner, and make him right again. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blood of Calvary, for the shed blood there that is able to purify our hearts, to break through reigning sin, and make us pure again. And we thank you, Father, for not only the cross, not only Calvary, But we thank you also for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For as Paul declares, without the resurrection, our faith is vain. We are of all men most miserable if Jesus did not rise again. And and so, Lord, we give you thanks that he is our reigning and, and risen king, that Jesus is now seated in the heavens and that he is king over all we thank you, Lord, that you as reigning king, that you desire to set your people free from sin. And so, Lord, we pray this for each person gathered here, that each person would know you in a saving way, that each person would, would be able to confess you as their Lord, as their Savior. We thank you that we are able to hear your word preached today as well. We pray for Pastor Jeff as he gives a, prepares us your word And we ask, God, that you would bless it. We thank you for the offerings as well. We pray, God, that you would bless this too and that all of our worship, all of our praise today would bring you honor and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Yesterday, I sent out an email about Myron Palmer, that he was in the hospital undergoing surgery. Um, I guess it was the day before I sent out that email. Um, He is still in the hospital recovering from surgery. The surgery went well, and he hopes to be uh, going home in the next day or so. So we'll pray for him this morning. In addition to the others who are in the bulletin who have requested prayer, I want to read one verse for you. From Ephesians chapter 6 that may set your mind in the proper place for praying for each other or maybe for your own heart. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now here's a little question for you. Do you know what the Apostle Paul writes about in the previous section or two? <laughs> I'd be amazed if you remembered. I'll give you, a little, uh, give, give you a little review. In the middle of chapter 5, he talks about husbands and wives. At the end of that section into chapter 6, he talks about children and parents. And then in the section immediately before the verse I just read, He talks about the relationship between servants and masters, or we would say, work relationships. So just before he says, we're not wrestling against humans, we're wrestling against evil forces, he talks about human relationships. And one of the things I want to do with you this morning is pray for each other and perhaps for your own heart about the way that we might be at odds and struggle with other people. Maybe those are people in your own home, maybe in people in relationships in your community, maybe it's someone at work, and you wrongly assume that you're struggling against another person, and you find it hard to pray for that person. You realize Jesus commanded us to pray for who? For our enemies. How can we pray for enemies? Doesn't our culture say our enemies are our enemies? You have to try to beat them, not pray for them. But the nature of the kingdom is that we pray even for those that we're at odds with. And the only way that we can really do that is if we understand we're not wrestling against humans, against another person, we're wrestling against the cosmic powers of evil. I'm going to ask you to do something that may be very difficult, and maybe you choose not to, that's fine. But if you want to just jot down in your bulletin, The name of a person that you're at odds with, that you struggle to really get along with, you really just don't like. When they walk in the room, you're like, hmm. You know that feeling? Maybe you just choose to jot that down in your mind. Well, think about that in this coming week and as we join in prayer together, we're wrestling against cosmic powers. You can pray for that person. You can ask the Lord to transform your relationship. Let's do that now. Father, it is only in the strength of Jesus Christ that we can bow before you. We recognize our own inability that often we struggle just to do the most ordinary things of life in a way that please you. We recognize our own fickleness that sometimes we seem very strong and other times we seem very weak. And some of that is clearly evidenced in the way that sin has affected our bodies Some of us are growing older, and it's harder to do the things that we used to do, and we're frustrated with that. We can see people on our prayer list for whom that is the case. On other occasions, it is an illness that comes into our life, and we think of our brother Myron Palmer this morning who is in the hospital, and for others on our prayer list who are struggling with illnesses. Maybe these are just illnesses that are short-term, But maybe there are illnesses that we'll struggle with for the rest of our lives. Maybe these are even illnesses that eventually will most likely take our lives. And we sense our own unsteadiness. And we wonder how in the world can we be okay if there's so much uncertainty. And in the middle of that, we break the regular routine of life to come to worship. Because in worship, we see that at the very center of our world, of the universe itself, of all of history, is not who I am, but who God is and what God is doing in his world. So we can confess our smallness without embarrassment or shame. We can turn to you and ask for your help for those who are weak, for those who are struggling without feeling as though it is costing us to do so. We can even lay before you our ambitions, our great desires, the things that we want to happen. Because ultimately we're saying, not what we desire, Lord, but what is good for you and your kingdom. And we pray, especially this morning, that you would bless what we're about to do when we open your word Because your word is centered in Jesus Christ, we're going to see that. Jesus says to the Jews, you look all through the Scriptures. You're looking for all kinds of things, but you miss the very point of the Scriptures because you fail to see me. Lord, we may do the same thing in life. We may be searching through all sorts of areas in life, trying to find the thing we're looking for, and yet we're not finding it because we fail to see that Jesus is at the center of God's plan for all of humanity. And Lord, we don't intend to miss that now, but we ask that you would fill our hearts and our minds with the joy of knowing that is true, that we are not the captains of our own ships, that we are not in control of our lives, that our lives are not simply what we make of them, but rather you are God, you are in control, you are a good and gracious God, and what is happening in life, you're calling us to walk after you in faithfulness, But you're doing far more than we could ask or even imagine according to the riches of your grace in Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that, Lord. We're amazed by that. Because it relieves us from that burden, that sense of impending doom that things are not going as well as we would want. Instead, we can be at peace and we can even be ambitious in pursuing the things that matter most to our Savior Jesus Christ. And perhaps one of those things that you're laying before us this morning is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Then we think of that person, or maybe even people that we struggle with, we don't really like. Maybe, we, maybe even we look at that person as our enemy. It could be somebody in our home. Lord, let's be honest with you. Sometimes our marriages may feel like that. Maybe we feel that tension with our children or with our parents. Maybe it is a job where we go to work and what do we see there? Not someone we're glad to meet, but instead we're frustrated with them. We're angry with them. We wish they would just change. But your word says to us this morning that we're not wrestling against humanity. We're wrestling against the evil forces, against the principalities, against what is wrong in this world, so that we are able to pray to you this morning for your grace for our own hearts, your ability to open that relationship in a way that we could never anticipate, and also the peace that may come as we pray for someone and a relationship that may never become better. Lord, how freeing it is to know that Jesus is Lord and King. We're not. So much of our struggle comes when we place ourselves on the throne of our existence and we just want to control every bit. Instead, Lord, make us faithful followers of Jesus Christ, especially with those we struggle to like. Lord, you know the hearts of all those who are here and who are listening, who are participating online, the particular person or people that they may have. You know my own heart and the people I'm identifying or the person. Lord, you know all of that. And we lay these people before you. They were made in your image. They live in your world. We're called to honor them. Jesus goes even further in telling us that we're called to love them. Lord, put to death the place in our hearts that reserves our right to be angry. Instead, we pray that you would break that down and in its place that you would give us the compassion and mercy that Jesus has shown us and show us the difference between permissiveness and actual love. There may be relationships in which it is not honoring to God For it to be the way it ever was in the past. But there are many relationships in which we pray that there would be genuine healing. And the anger, the frustration, whether it comes from us or at us, would be overcome by the power of your Spirit. In fact, we would pray on this morning, on this day, that in those relationships, as we see them change, they would be great demonstrations of the power of Jesus Christ To do what we think impossible. Lord, it is good for us to ask what seems beyond our ability to conceive. Because Jesus said we should. He even said that after he departed he would do greater things. Maybe this is one of those greater things. And we pray, Lord, for the patience to wait until those relationships change, if that is your will. We even pray for the ability not to be captured by our concern about them, but to in our prayers not only pray for those that we struggle to get along with, but even to lay them before the throne of our Savior Jesus in such a way that that burden that we've been carrying would also be relieved and given to our Savior. Father, in many ways what we're praying here this morning is very specific for each person who is here in many ways, but it sounds very very general. And for that reason, we need your Spirit's help to take what is particular to each one of us in the lives that we lead and to use your almighty power to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to who we are. And Father, we lay these things before you, conscious of your ability to answer and hear them because of the mercy of Christ. And so as we have laid this before you, now we ask that by the Spirit of Christ that he promised to send when he ascended, that you would also open your word, that we would read a passage that is in many ways sort of difficult to understand, but we would do it with open hearts, and your Spirit would be here in the words that I speak and in the thoughts of our hearts, our ability to receive and contemplate this truth We don't want to be, as James says, merely hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word. And James is saying that because there's a difference between between simply hearing and then responding. We want to respond. And in order for that to happen, we need your help. And so we're asking for it now. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. We are turning to John chapter 5 this morning, beginning at verse 30. And we'll be reading through the end of the chapter. We're picking up Jesus' words sort of in the middle of something he's been saying. And if you haven't been here uh, to hear the other part of this, I hope to give you a little review as we start the sermon this morning. So do not feel like you're sort of walking into something. You don't know really where you are. I hope to catch you up a little bit um, as I begin the sermon this morning. But we're starting at verse 30. And I commend to you to follow along and to give attention to this word as God's word, the word that he speaks to you this morning. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent." When you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, the one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of our Savior Jesus, as given to us in the Gospel of John. There's something very interesting that happens every Thursday in preparation for Sunday sermon. By Thursday afternoon, I must submit the title of my sermon just like anything that you're hoping to submit to the bulletin has to be in by Thursday noon. It's always sort of a putting off task for me. And the reason I put it off is this. Often by the time I've completed my sermon, I realize what I submitted for the title isn't as good as it could be. Well, that's true also this morning. The title that's here is not the title that I think best captures what I'm going to say. I'll refer to it later on in this morning's sermon, but here's a title I really want you to hear. If you want to cross out what's in the bulletin and just put it in there, that's even fine with me. The title I would like you to contemplate is this. What Jesus says is an apologetic for the apathetic. It's an apologetic for the apathetic. Now, you might say your other sermon title is easier to understand. (laughs) It does have that going for it, so let me explain this one. An apologetic is simply giving a reason that is meant to convince. And in this morning's sermon, I'm going to give you three reasons. In fact, Jesus gives you three reasons why you should be convinced. That's the apologetic. The apathetic comes from the other part of this section, the latter part. Somebody who is apathetic says, ah, doesn't really matter that much. Should I really care? Should it motivate me? Should it change me? Should it compel me? And in these two parts of this morning's passage, the apologetic, here are the reasons you should believe you should be convinced. With the latter half, I'm sort of apathetic. I'm not sure why it should matter. We see between the two the very nature of Jesus Christ and what He is calling to you this morning. So let me explain those two parts of this morning's title, An Apologetic for the Apathetic, as we walk through these verses. And I want to start with the apologetic. When I say an apologetic for, it's not reasons to be apathetic. It's reasons addressed to the apathetic. In fact, there are three reasons that Jesus gives to us in the beginning part of this morning's passage. And in order to appreciate these three reasons, I have to introduce you again briefly to where we are in John chapter 5. We sort of have picked up what Jesus is saying in verse 30 after verse 29, obviously where Jesus has already been doing some explaining. And the reason he has needed to explain is because in the first part of John chapter 5, something amazing has taken place. In fact, I don't want you to miss that Jesus' explanation in these verses is meant as a commentary on the work he did in the early part of John 5. Here's the amazing thing he did. Jesus came to a pool... In a part of Jerusalem where there were many sick people, there happened to be a man there who was lame. In fact, he'd been lame since birth. He had been sitting there likely begging, asking people as they walked by, could you help me please? I need some help. There was no social safety network. He was going to live that day based on the kindness of other people. And Jesus, as he walks by, asks this man what may have seemed a very obvious question. I wonder if the man even thought it insulting. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed, man? Well, obviously the man wanted to be healed. And there was a legend about this pool that there was an angel who came down and he would stir the waters. And the first person to jump into the pool after the water was stirred would be healed. And so the man responds to Jesus, of course I want to be healed, but I have no one to help me get into the water. Here's the problem. The cure requires the very thing I'm not able to do. I'm lame. I can't get up. I can't go. And so I need someone else's help. And what was amazingly and wonderfully startling to this man is that Jesus says to him, Take up your bed and walk. You're healed. Now, just put yourself in the position of that man for just a moment. What goes through your mind if you're this man who's been lame forever? And someone comes to him and says, You're healed, take up your bed and walk. The first thought that goes through my mind is, Really? (laughs) So, just like that, it's that easy? But when the man responds to Jesus and picks up his bed and walks, amazing. Please be amazed. Be amazed at this more than the latest version of your Apple phone. Because this is truly amazing. A man who is lame now takes up his bed and walks. He was lame, now we can walk. This actually happens. And what is curious, and the reason why we have the rest of John chapter 5, is because this man was notorious for being lame. And as he's walking around Jerusalem, the Jews were there watching. And this happened to, to occur on the Sabbath. It happened in the day of worship. And the Jews had reasons for things they could and could not do on the Sabbath. And this violated their understanding of the Sabbath. And so they go to Jesus and they ask him the question, on what authority, on what right do you have to tell this man to carry his bed on the Sabbath? Do you see how they missed the point? (laughs) This man has been healed amazingly. And the Jews are worried, well, what right do you have to carry your bed? And Jesus says in the verse that hangs over everything that follows, in John chapter 5, he says... My Father has been working from the beginning and I am working as well. And John writes that the Jews knew that Jesus was claiming to be equal with the Father and so they sought to kill him. Everything that happens after this in John 5, Jesus' words are meant to explain to the religious crowd that this Jesus has the rights, not just to tell this man to take up his bed and walk, that it's meant to explain to this religious crowd that Jesus is, in fact, God. That's what Jesus is saying. You're wondering about why he can carry his bed. Let's raise this question to the highest possible level, the very level you're concerned about. Am I God or not? And now Jesus, in section that we're thinking about here this morning, verses 30 and following, gives three reasons why it is that the apathetic Jews, those who are going through the motions, should move beyond the motions to believing in the Messiah. Do you want to hear them? Here are the three reasons. Look at verses 33 through 35. It says, You sent to John... And he is born, what? Witness to the truth. He's speaking about himself. He is the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his lights. Now you'll notice I skipped a couple of verses, an explanation, because I can simply summarize them for you this way. Verses 30 through 33 tell us, that the three reasons that follow are all meant to highlight one important truth. Jesus is the Messiah based on the testimony of his father. And the testimony of his father is demonstrated in these three witnesses. The first of them is John the Baptist. Now what's interesting about each of these three witnesses is they basically capture what we have read already in the gospel of John. John. For example in John chapter 1 you can turn back if you have your bibles there you'll notice that John the Baptist shows up very early in the book. If you look at verse 6 it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as what? As a witness about the light, that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You go later on in this particular chapter, and you see the very first extended explanation that happens in John is about John the Baptist and his testimony about Jesus. If you look at verse 29 of chapter 1, it says, "...the next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." What is John the Baptist doing? Being a witness of the coming and the arrived Jesus Christ. You can flip your Bibles over to chapter 3. After those famous words about needing to be born again, chapter 3 verse 22 talks about Jesus and his disciples being in the same area as John the Baptist. And the question arose among John the Baptist's disciples What about this Jesus? How are we to understand him? And John the Baptist says, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no competition between me and Jesus. My job is to point forward to Jesus. It's the very reason I came. And if that means that I must decrease, I will celebrate that decrease for the sake of his increase. John the Baptist is a witness to Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that Jesus says specifically in verse 34, he doesn't need that witness. What he means is that doesn't make him the Messiah. Rather, it's meant to convince the very people that Jesus is talking to. You saw John the Baptist. You were attracted to the light. You saw what he was doing. He came so that you might be saved. It wasn't that Jesus needed the testimony of any man, he says later, but instead, we might need that testimony. We might need to be convinced that's why John the Baptist came. Now, if you think about the testimony of John the Baptist, you might say that his testimony is really helpful for those who say, I'm not really sure about this Jesus. I'm not really sure. And to explain to you what I mean by that, I want to invite you into our home. I hope you don't mind. Maybe some of you have been in our home when this has happened. And I'm delighted to tell you this happens. Maybe I am delighted in it more than my own children and my wife, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Imagine in my previous job, I'm sitting there in my office, and I look out of my office window, giant windows... And it looked out over Sheffield Road, which is a major road through Dyer. And on Sheffield Road, there is a railroad track. And in order for the road to cross the railroad track, there's this big hump in the road. You've seen those, haven't you? And down Sheffield Road came a farmer holding, a, 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 um, um, carrying, pulling a Pot Valley trailer full of hogs for market. And I could see him pause before he came to this rise in the road, almost contemplating, am I going to make it? So he tries, and as he is crossing that hump in the road, the pop belly of his semi-truck gets caught at the top of this rise, and it's high-pointed. Can you see that in your mind? And then as I'm watching out my window, I see the man walk to the back of his truck and think, now what do I do? And he wonders maybe if he shifts the hogs around to the front, maybe the trailer will tip and he can drive away. So I see him open the door and climb in. But little did he know the hogs were upset with what was happening. He opens the door and down Sheffield Road runs a whole pot belly load of hogs. Can you see that in your mind? Now here's the question. True or false? Did that really happen? We play this game at home, me telling some fantastic story and then asking my children, did it happen or not? And even after we go around and everyone of them, them guess, true or false, true or false, inevitably after I tell them whether it's true or false, one of them will turn to my wife who's one of the most honest, straightforward people of integrity that I know And one of them will turn to my wife and say, Mom, is that really true? That's John the Baptist. These Jews needed a witness to confirm that what God was saying about Jesus was true. And that was the role of John the Baptist to confirm, to say with its own eyes, yes, it's true, you can believe. And I just want to ask you this morning, as those who are listening to this unfolding conversation between Jesus and the Jews, is that what your heart also longs for? You're reading in the Bible here these stories about Jesus and they may sound to you not to be disrespectful at all to what happens in John 5, but they sound like a story about Sheffield Avenue. How is it possible that this man who is lame his entire life now can walk? You're like, did that really happen? You need a witness. You need someone like John the Baptist to say, these things do occur. This is the Messiah. This is the one you should believe in. And Jesus is saying, if that's what you need, I've given you that one in John the Baptist. He's right here. He is testifying to what he is seeing. In fact, in the Bible, there's a whole series of these witnesses of this sort. Fast forward in the Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. You know that chapter? It's the great resurrection chapter. And in that resurrection chapter, talking about the validity of the resurrection, Jesus actually rose from the dead. Paul, The apostle Paul writes, and there are many witnesses of this. You can ask those who saw Jesus rise from the dead. This is not just a story we tell ourselves because we'd like for it to be true. No, he says, you all can go and ask those who actually saw Jesus alive. This is true. This is valid. This is not a religious truth only, as Kant would be fond of saying. Some kind of truth that's not really rooted in reality. We just want it to be. It's like a different category of truth. No, this is actual truth. That's a point that John the Baptist, the point that John the Baptist is making, that's his role. that's his place. And Jesus wants you to look to him and hear the question, "Do you need a witness? Do you need, do you need to be convinced? If you do, here's John the Baptist. Listen to him. But then there's a second witness as well, and this comes in verse 36. Verse 36 says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Do you see how we're working to a crescendo? Okay, John the Baptist, you need a witness. You've got John the Baptist. You've got all those who can testify to the historical validity of this man, Jesus. But Jesus says there's a greater witness even than that. What is it? For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. It's not just that John the Baptist and other witnesses testify about Jesus. Now Jesus says, but they're also the works that I do. The very things that I am doing testify that I am the Son of God. If you would read that 36 in the original, the emphasis at the very beginning of that verse is on the word I. I I have evidence, I have a witness, and the witness is the works that my Father has given me to do. It's not hard to figure out what those works are. You can just go back to the beginning part of this chapter. There's Jesus healing this man. I've emphasized to you the drama of the story. It's amazing. This happens over and over in the Gospels. Why did Jesus come performing miracles? It was to testify to those who saw and heard that Jesus was no ordinary man. How many miracles have you done? Seems like such a dumb question, doesn't it? Well, obviously, the answer is no. As much as you might think, as I thought when when I was young, my dad is the biggest, strongest, toughest guy who's ever lived. He's never performed a miracle. That's not human. We're limited. But Jesus is saying about himself, I'm not merely human. I am the one sent from God because I can perform the works my Father has given me to do, including that man who is lame can now walk. The blind see. Those who are deaf can hear. Even the dead are raised. And over and over in the Gospels, the emphasis is placed on the historical reality of Jesus' work to testify to the Jews and to us, this Jesus is in fact the Messiah. There have always been people, and maybe this is the battle you're facing in your own heart right now, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure those miracles really happened. How do we know? So let me ask you the very obvious question. Why didn't the Jews in chapter 5 object to this claim that Jesus had performed this miracle. You would think the most obvious way to discredit Jesus in chapter 5, who's claiming to be the Messiah, to be equal with the Father, would be to say to Jesus, you claim to have healed this man, he's not healed. So there. But that's not what they do. The reason they don't do that is because the man's actually walking around. (laughs) Something actually happened. The same thing happens when sight is given, when the deaf hear, when the dead are raised. We don't read people in the Gospels watching this happen, think, think, think to themselves and say to Jesus, well, that didn't happen. No, they seek to discredit the implication of what they see. They do not doubt that it actually occurred. So let me ask you, the witness of the works of Jesus Christ, the very things His Father gave, them, gave Him to do, do you find them convincing? What do these miracles say about Jesus? How do you explain them in your own mind? Are you just going to dismiss them? I don't mean to insult you, but the Jews did better than that. They actually acknowledged it was truth. They just didn't know what to do with it. Don't make the inferior error. At least acknowledge with me this happened. And then wrestle with the question what does that mean about Jesus? But now, if I'm thinking along with some of us, you're wondering well, very nice, Pastor, but John the Baptist and these miracles are recorded in the scriptures. So maybe they're not telling the truth. Have you never read a book that was not true? Maybe this book is not true. That's the third witness that is raised here in Jesus' words. In verses 37, 38, and 39, Jesus goes on to say, Not only do you have the testimony of John the Baptist and other witnesses, you have the miracles themselves, but now you have the Father speaking as the greatest of all witnesses. Look at verse 37. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then this very probing verse, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is saying something very simple. I prayed about it earlier. That is, the entire Scriptures are meant to point us to Jesus Christ. They're not first about morality. They're not just about stories. They're not just about good things to know. The Scriptures are meant in their entirety to point us to the saving work of Jesus Christ. It is in that light that we hear the commandments of God. The morality flows from the Messiah. It is in that light that we understand stories like the fall of Jericho and the captivity of the Israelites taken into slavery and the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They all find their common purpose in Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is saying to these Jews, you're hoping to find something when you read this book and you're searching all over the place, but you're never going to find what you're looking for apart from me. And a couple of chapters later, Jesus will say it a little differently, but it's the same point. He'll say in John chapter 6, he is the bread of life. We need to eat that bread. He is a sustenance. We need to live. You don't have Jesus. You can't have life. This is the witness necessary for us to believe that the Bible is more than simply a nice book. You may even say it's a historical book. You may even go so far as to say it does not contain errors. But if you do not see in the Scriptures the voice of Jesus Christ calling you to follow him, if you are not convinced that the Bible is one giant apologetic for Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, friend, it is my duty this morning to tell you you have missed the point. Because Jesus says, if you miss me, you're going to manipulate the Scriptures so that they turn into a big hammer to avoid the very heart of our God. And that's where I want to go next, in verses 40 through 47. There are three witnesses, that is the apologetic, and then in verses 40 through 47... We have these addressed to the apathetic. Again, I just want to stress to you what I mean by apathetic. This would be the person who listens, who maybe even listens very nicely. You're paying attention. I can see your eyes focused. You've heard this many times. You think to yourself, okay, another one of those sermons. Maybe you've even even read John 5 many times. This is a safe, comfortable routine for you. Show up, go through the motions. And yet there's never been a time where the witnesses that we read about in the earlier part of John 5, this section, where those witnesses have been convincing to you. How do I I explain convincing? Let let me put it this way. By convincing, I mean you give yourself over entirely to Jesus. Instead of holding back and saying, but I'll figure out exactly how much of this I'm going to buy into... I may go through the motions. Everybody needs to do the motions. It's socially acceptable. I'm going to give myself entirely over to Jesus. That is the Rubicon that you cross into genuine faith. Let me explain what Jesus means then by the apathetic. The key is there in verse 40 that I read. You are not willing to come to me in order to have life. You might ask yourself the question, with all of these witnesses that Jesus has been careful to point the Jews to, to us to, why don't we come to Jesus? Why don't we just do that? And the answer to that question is is a little secret that I think it's important to bring out into the open. And the little secret is that the problem is not primarily a matter of the mind, The problem is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of evidence. It's a matter of belief. To say it again rather strongly, the problem is one of your heart. I'm fairly sure that you may believe there are enough witnesses. Honestly, your heart knows that's true. But you also know that if you listen to these witnesses, if Jesus is who he claims to be, and you believe he is the one that God has sent into the world, and you will give yourself over to him, it will transform your heart and your life, and you do not want that to happen. Because instead of transform, you think to yourself, it will be captured by someone else. For many of us, that scares us. I don't like that idea. That sounds wrong. Why? You want control. <laughs> Can I laugh about that? We all want control, don't we? And when you give your life to Jesus, you give it up. Let me say it differently you love yourself a lot. And you are convinced that no one is going to love and care for you like you. And therefore, I must keep control over my belief. And what I take to be real and true in order to pursue the good life, the kind of life I deserve. I need to stay in control. You know, one of my favorite questions to ask people is what does the good life look like for you? Is it 10 acres somewhere, nice house, nice family, all put together? Is it 50 acres a little bit north where you can ride around on a dirt bike, sit in a stand, shoot deer? Is it a vacation home in Florida, I have to say, going on vacation? That sounds very appealing to me right now. What does that good life look like? Because whatever you think it looks like, whatever you set your heart upon, you're going to pursue that with everything that is in you. You may even say to yourself, others cannot know what I'm pursuing. I'm fooling everyone else. You're probably wrong about that, but you're most certainly wrong before the face of God himself. This is what Jesus says to the Jews, and he says to you this morning. The alternatives to Jesus Christ are empty. They're like a mist. They disappear. Anything short of Jesus and his kingdom will be one giant, perpetual disappointment to you. Maybe you will continue to pursue those things and then come to a point you'll think, well, I guess it's not quite that. I need to kind of bend my ambition some. And you'll pursue that for a while. I can promise you, no matter how much you bend that ambition, it always ends in the same place, disappointment, frustration. Until you find your hope in Jesus Christ and life within his kingdom, you will be one disappointment after another. In fact, Jesus emphasizes that in verse 43. He says, you are willing to receive the testimony of someone else, but you won't receive mine. What is he saying to the Jews? He is saying you're willing to believe your own heart, your own sense of what's right. You're willing to believe that enough power, enough ambition, enough position, enough enough respect, enough comfort, whatever it else, enough of that will bring you the life that you want and you deserve. And here's the truth. It's a lie. It will not deliver. In fact, if I can be honest with you, they're horrible lies. Because as much as we might want to believe them, they not only end in disappointment, they end up in captivity. I'm going to end this sermon by taking you back to the beginning of John chapter 5. And I want to play with you a little game of what if. What if the Jews were right about this man who was lame? What if they were right about what should have happened at the beginning of John chapter 5? Remember, what did they want? They wanted this man not to be carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Even further, they did not want this man to be healed. They didn't want it... He was far more important to them to have control, to make sure that their good life was preserved, that they would want this man to remain lying by this pool, lame and poor, unhealed. And Jesus came and brought him liberty. And what I'm saying to you this morning is just as certain The three witnesses that Jesus points to, the testimony of others, the works that Jesus does, and the fullness of the Scriptures are meant to bring you life in a world, my friend, that is full of darkness and death. And that is the best I can do for you this morning. And give you reasons and apologetic for abandoning anything short of Jesus. Would you join me in praying? Father, we want to have that life and that freedom. And I'm thankful not only for the words of Jesus in John chapter 5, I'm also thankful for the tone that he uses. Sometimes we're a little wary of the tone of Jesus, where he's direct, where he confronts, where he is honest. Because often we misuse that tone, especially in the church. We start to command people around by force of personality, by the matter of our position, because we want to dominate and control. But that's not what Jesus does. Lord, I pray that you would spare us from abusing what Jesus not only says but the tone with which he says it that our effort in being honest and straightforward and even sometimes being very very direct would not be in service of our own power and control it would be in the service of pointing people to the grace and the comfort that comes in Jesus Christ there is no mercy like the mercy of our savior There's no freedom like the freedom he gives. And Lord, release us even in the edges of our heart from believing the lies that that say we will find that somewhere else and free us to live in the glorious lordship of Jesus and his kingdom. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. In just a moment, I will give you the blessing that's found in Romans chapter 15. Just a reminder that there are Sunday school classes after for the adults. We have sermon discussion in here at quarter after 11. So if you'd like to talk through or ask questions or even ask me about things that I might not know, that is perfectly welcome. Receive this blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.